Welcome to Game & Watch with Aaron and James, the show where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we've been watching. I am Aaron. And I'm James. And today we are talking about the film Hedwig and the Angry Inch, uh, which is itself an adaptation of a rock opera musical, which then itself, both of those kind of morphed into the more mainstream sort of Broadway musical uh, that for a while starred Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. And then I think maybe for a bit, uh, Michael C. Hall, who yes. was, was it the first, honestly, the first time I feel like I came across this in a way that grabbed my attention. I mean, I'd heard about this movie before, but for some reason I was really into Dexter when I saw that Michael C. Hall was playing Hedwig in, in a short run of the musical. I was like, I might need to check out this movie, but then I never got around to it. Yeah, I was always really confused over which one came first or which one was the like, quote unquote, real version. Um, Same here. And I I don't think there is necessarily. Um, I will say, though, that this film um, is an excellent uh, adaptation, having not seen the original kind of rock opera musical. But uh, this comes to us uh, via my fiance, Edgar. Um, he really loves this movie. And when he found out that, uh, we did a podcast about movies, um, that was kind of the first one that he brought up. Did he walk in? Who was like, what are you doing? <clears throat> You're like, I've been doing this every week. What have you been doing? And then he just, you know, screamed Hedwig in the angry inch and then just slammed the door. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Uh, no, it was not like that at all. Um, we watched it together. I'd never seen it before. He first saw it around t- 2005. Um, and, uh, we'll kind of get to it, but the movie came out in 2001. So he did not see when it was current, uh, what it was new. That's current enough. Well, yes. But by then it had already kind of, uh, reached like cult status. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about the development and the, the release. It was not like a huge mainstream success, but it found a lot of success, uh, you know, as a cult film. Um, Edgar loved it the first time he saw it. He loves it now. His favorite song is the origin of love as well. Um, his really opinions haven't changed about it. Um, okay. He just appreciates it more and more every time. Uh, we both agree that the movie is really ahead of its time. And we can kind of talk about why yeah. later as we go on. But I definitely think for a 2001 film, uh, this could be made brand new right now. And I feel like it would still feel slightly ahead of its time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I thank Edgar for the recommendation. This was, it's a movie that I feel like I've been circling occasionally and I finally now had a, you know, a good reason to see it. Not that I didn't before. And uh, I'm just really happy about it. Um, I watched it uh, two days in a row, actually. I watched it by myself one night and then I showed Miranda the next night. Um, Yeah, how did she like it? She enjoyed it. Uh, She had some issues with it that I had. Uh, It really, I, I think maybe more than I had. Um, and I'll go into some of the things that I, that I don't think work about it, but I think there are actually very few. Uh, I, I, this is a, an unqualified rock uh, recommendation for me. I, I I really, really liked it. Uh, and I liked it again the second time. Agreed. Um, all right. Do you want to tell us about, uh, the production of the movie, maybe the background? Yeah. I mean, you kind of touched on it and, and, please fill in any gaps that I may miss. You know, again, this was based off a 1998 stage musical uh, that was co-written by uh, John Cameron Mitchell, who went on to write star and direct this movie uh, and his writing partner, Stephen Trask, who wrote the music, I believe uh, John Cameron Mitchell wrote kind of the rest of it. Um, yeah. Stephen Trask, Trask is in the movie as well. 
I think is, is a back as one of the members of the angry inch band. Um, and then John Cameron Mitchell, you know, reprises his, the role that he created for himself, the, the role of Hedwig. Uh, Steven Trask related to Bolivar Trask. Is that correct? <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah. Uh, there's only so many Trasks uh, in, in, in the world. That's true. Um, yeah. Did you find anything out about where Hedwig kind of comes from uh, kind of why they settled on Hedwig? Um, I think, I mean, a lot of Hedwig, the character and the story was based on John Cameron Mitchell's own life growing up. Right. I mean, he grew, did he grow up on a military base? Is that, is that right? Or, or he grew, he grew, he grew up in some sort of military scenario. Yeah. And he also, um, the, the character of Hedwig herself is based on one of his babysitters that he had in, oh, a tra- right. yep. in a trailer park in Kansas. Uh, and yes, I believe he did spend time in East Germany, um, before the Berlin wall came down. Yeah. And then also the character of Tommy, who will go into a little bit more detail. I do recall was based on Mitchell himself. Uh, both are gay, both the sons of an army general, right? Um, and then both kind of have this, this or had this uh, deep, you know, kind of Catholic root. Uh, do you mean Tommy Gnosis or do you mean, um, gosh, Hedwig before he transitioned? Hansel. <clears throat> I thought Tommy. I don't know. I thought I read that Tommy was uh, influenced or that he was influenced by Tommy as well. No. Yeah, it definitely could be. Um, or yeah, well we can check it. <laughs> um, and I mean, honestly, I feel like a lot of it uh, from top to bottom is a lot of James Cameron Mitchell, uh, his life and influences in general. Yeah. You mentioned that he directed, wrote and produced along with Trask. Um, anything else about the production that you found? Um, you know, not a whole lot. Um, you know, this was, he was encouraged, uh, Mitchell was encouraged to adapt this movie after, um, you know, he, I think there was an off Broadway run of his original musical and he had developed some of the script at, at, through resources provided by the Sundance film festival. Um, and then he later entered the movie itself into the Sundance film festival. And it was, you know, it was well received critically, but I don't think many people saw it and I don't think it made its money back. Uh, And then, as you mentioned, it kind of since made, you know, became more popular um, and became a cult hit um, after that. Yeah. And uh, kind of the only interesting tidbit that I found, sorry, let me apologize also for uh, my voice. I'm going to be sniffling and coughing. uh, No worries. It's uh, allergy season and uh, I have some allergies going on. Um, But one of the interesting parts to me is that apparently Michael Pitt did not feel comfortable in the scenes where he kisses uh, Hedwig. Oh, yeah. Um, And so he would purposely like eat onions and garlic and things like that. Um, <clears throat> what I find particularly interesting about that is, um, do you anything, do you know anything about, uh, JT Leroy? I have no, I have no idea. You've, you do not know the JT Leroy story? No, I don't. Okay. Uh, I strongly advise you to look into it because it's very, very interesting. Uh, there's a lot of like documentaries you can find on just YouTube and things for free. Um, but without kind of giving that 
insane story away. Um, I just think it's interesting that Michael Pitt had such reluctance to uh, kiss um, James Cameron Mitchell, or I'm sorry, John Cameron Mitchell, um, when later he was sort of romantically linked to JT Leroy. Uh, this was a couple years later, who, again, without really spoiling things, who uh, was a transgendered um, truck stop sex worker who was infected with HIV. Oh, wow. Um, and so I think it's just kind of interesting maybe doing this uh, movie and maybe, you know, having uh, that reaction to John Cameron Mitchell uh, maybe uh, gave him more perspective on on trans issues and on things like that. And mm. who knows? Um, or maybe he kind of knew what was going on with JT Leroy and felt more comfortable that way. Uh, so recommendation, if you are bored and you were looking for like a half an hour YouTube hole to fall down. Search JT Leroy um, because it's it's a it's a cuckoo banana story. But um, you kind of mentioned the critical reception. Um, it definitely developed a cult following, even though it was critically uh, well received. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had only ever heard of it. Um, I'd never seen it, and I really only heard of it after the you know more mainstream Broadway musical blew up. I didn't hear of this film by itself, really, or the original kind of rock opera it was based on. Okay. Um, My initial impressions, I loved it. Uh, Like I said, I saw it only the first time, you know, a week or two ago. Um, And I've like been rewatching clips and things since then. Uh, And I'd heard the music before a lot of it from Edgar. I love the music. Uh, I particularly love the animation that goes with some of the songs, uh, which is obviously something you probably wouldn't get from uh, like a stage show. Yeah. Um, I I think that complements it really well and really nicely. And I I appreciate those more and more when I rewatch certain songs, but I loved it. Uh, I agree with you. It's an unqualified recommendation um, for a number of reasons that we'll probably uh, get into. Yeah. Uh, And you kind of talked about this a bit, but um, tell me how your experience was. Yeah. I, um, I sat down uh, somewhat recently. Yeah. And watched it and I was on my own. I I felt very uh, engrossed in it. And I was just, you know, a lot of parts, I was just kind of gritting from ear to ear the, you know, the whole time I I found the music to be very beautiful um, at times, you know, catchy at other times, funny at sometimes. I mean, this movie kind of, has a little bit of um, everything to quote every IGN review ever. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I just, I found it to be really fascinating, um, really catchy. I, I, I don't, for so long, I, I feel like I've told people I don't like musicals because you can name a lot of musicals that I don't like. But then some of my favorite movies or two, you know, two of my favorite movies in the last 20 years are Moulin Rouge and, um, Tim Burton's Sweeney Todd. So, and I've, I've, I know all those songs. I used to sing them, you know, on my commute to and from like my internship, you know, I, so it would be a lie to say, I don't like musicals. Um, you just kind of have to find me the right one. And I think this is one of them. Yeah, I agree. It, um, I think in a lot of musicals, um, the, the, the music, the musical element pulls you out of it because it feels very artificial, um, you know, people jump up on the tables and start singing and dancing in unison. Uh, and this isn't that type of movie. Um, a lot of the music is within context of what's going on. Um, it's him actually singing at a show. 
Um, and then that kind of leads to, you know, animations or flashbacks or things. Yeah. Um, it, it's all, I guess that's the best way to put it. It's all within the context of the fact that the, he is a musical artist. He is a singer. He is on tour. Um, and all the song, most of the songs feel of a piece with that. Nice. Um, yeah. So why don't we talk about the plot a little bit? Yeah. So uh, it kind of opens with this gig um, where Hedwig and you find out it's Hedwig's uh, fiance. Um, Hedwig's fiance is kind of looking at uh, this wig, right? Um, yeah. And he seems to be debating whether or not to put it on. Um, Hedwig arrives and has a very angry reaction to that. Yep. Um, they do kind of their first number, which is called Tear Me Down. Um, and we get an introduction to Hedwig, the band, the idea that they are traveling. Um, and eventually it kind of becomes clear that they are on a traveling tour at these kind of really small town venues that don't really seem to appreciate them being there uh, in the first place. Um, and that they are touring alongside uh, Tommy Gnosis, yes. who is referenced near the beginning of the film a couple times, but we don't actually find out who he is uh, until later in the movie. Yeah, and I, I should mention, I, I was trying to find where I read what I said before about um, Tommy being influenced by Mitchell himself, and I saw it on the Wikipedia page for the musical itself. So I don't know how accurate that is, but it does say that, you know, uh, since they were both gay and apparently Tommy, maybe in the, it says that they're both the sons of an army general, which maybe Tommy was originally intended to be because I don't think they say that in the movie. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too, that we didn't mention in production that um, they kind of uh, wrote and created this entire musical um, basically out of their, their live music mm -hmm. um, and designed the story around it. So originally I think it was going to follow Tommy, but then the character uh -huh. of Hedwig became much more interesting to them. Yeah. Um, and so they crafted the story around Hedwig. So I'm, I'm sure there's like a beta version of this where Tommy was more the focus and bore much more resemblance to Mitchell. That's just speculation. But I do know that the original uh, kind of rough draft of this uh, as they were like performing live different versions of it was mm -hmm. more focused around Tommy Okay. Um, and that Hedwig, they decided, was the more interesting character to follow, which I agree. Um, I definitely agree with. Yeah, I totally agree, too. And, you know, before we move on with the plot, I just think a couple of things are notable. I mean, the, the opening number, and this is, again, before you realize what what's actually going on and the fact that they're following Tommy on his tour and playing at, I guess, comically shitty venues. Uh, and so I've, they there's a couple scenes where they're performing songs at like a restaurant and they're they seem and maybe it's the way it's filmed a little bit too that they feel very cramped in to a space and like in an almost comically unrealistic way um and you know the the crowd is kind of reacting the same way some of the old people seem not too um too thrilled you know they, they seem to have their own like groupies uh their own like group of fans that you know will follow them around anywhere and then of course you know they you know, they run into some people who say some pretty unsavory things. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's also kind of permeating through this whole movie, but not always explicitly said aloud is there is a little bit of a tension between Hedwig and her fiance. Yeah, there's, yeah. Um, I mean, just from the scene where um, the fiance is 
you know, kind of looking at putting on the wig and Hedwig kind of um, is angry or disgusted by it. And also trying to sing during, like kind of emphasize her singing voice a little bit more um, or his singing voice. And then Hedwig will, you know, she grabbed the mic and like unplugged it. Yes. Yes. So there's a little bit of like a competition or a, or a Hedwig, her being unwilling to kind of give up the spotlight after all the work she's put into this band. Yes. And all these restaurants are there. It's got like big Chili's energy. Like these aren't fancy places. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the second scene where they're performing. They're like just crammed behind a, a, a salad bar at a buffet restaurant. Like there's no there's no way that any restaurant yeah. would ever put a band in that tiny space. No. So I, I was I was laughing a bit. Um, so yes. Um, so Hedwig, uh, sings, um, or I'm sorry, first they, do they sing original love or do they uh, meet in the hotel room with the agent or their manager? I think there's a, it it doesn't really matter which, it doesn't matter. I think, I think the, the meeting happens first. Yeah. So there's just a scene where, uh, we, we get Hedwig's manager of the band and that's kind of where we find out that there's this lawsuit against Tommy Gnosis and they're, you know, they're following him, but, um, at one of their gigs, Hedwig sings, uh, the origin of love, um, which is, uh, kind of this ballad, um, that gets this really nifty animated, uh, music video, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Um, that kind of follows along with, with the words of the song. We're going to discuss this song in particular and not necessarily all of the others. Yeah. Just because this one's pretty famous. It's my favorite of the film, but, uh, he's just talking about where love comes from that, uh, all the gods, um, you know, split these beings, the children of the sun, children of the moon and children of the earth, which were pairs of men, pairs of women, and pairs of a man and a woman uh, back to back. And that uh, the gods one day smited uh, people by splitting them in half. And that by finding your other half, you can, you know, uh, find true love and essentially become whole. Yep. And I would say that this is not my favorite song, I think, but it's my favorite sequence that, well, maybe except for the, the, the final song. I, I just love, there's a lot more going on here that I love. Um, and I, I'll, I'll mention it after you kind of talk about the song a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's not really much more to talk about. Um, it's just, it, it talks about a lot of uh, figures from mythology, yeah. um, both, you know, Egyptian and Greek and Norse and things like that. And uh, John Cameron Mitchell, uh, one of his hobbies is actually mythology. So I think he put a lot of um, his own interest in there. Uh, it's also based on Plato's Symposium, yeah. which I don't really necessarily know a ton about. Um, I, I've read like some Plato in college and philosophy classes, yeah. um, but I think it's supposed to be um, a work about, well, actually here, according to Wikipedia, um, it's, uh, rec- it's, it's a philo- or I'm sorry, it's a meditation on Eros, the God of love and desire. Yeah. Um, it's recognized as both erotic love and, you know, something that can inspire courage, valor, great works and deeds, things like that. Um, and I do know that the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, they had multiple different kinds of love. They had self-love, they had brotherly love, they had romantic love, they had erotic love. Um, so I think a lot of this film and the song borrows from these ideas that there are many different kinds of love. And by the end, you'll kind of see 
Hedwig accept a certain kind of love. Um, right. There's a kind of theme of Hedwig not knowing what kind of love she's meant for, what what to accept. You know, there is the, the song itself, and I think maybe Plato's Symposium itself also just, you know, it, again, it talks about the idea that there are kind of three different types of humans in the world or that 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 used to exist you know um a version where a man is attached to another man physically you know actually attached and then a woman is attached to another woman and that a man and a woman are attached and then some angry gods split them all um to be evil and that each one of those you know each man each woman you know what have you is trying to find their other half and you know, Hedwig is, you know, as we see in, you know, throughout the movie, you know, she's looking for, for love um, and, and kind of finds it in, in different ways. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we find out some background about Hedwig. Um, Hedwig grew up in East Germany. Um, this is obviously before the Berlin Wall fell um, to, with just his mother, um, his father, he says was a GI, uh, but who left um, and he always from a young age loved rock music. Uh, and we kind of see him both in flashbacks as like a little boy, but then as a teenager, uh, which I like because we get to see him, you know, both before he kind of has any kind of like sexual or physical awakening. You know, he's just an innocent little kid who loves music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we see him uh, later. Um, and what happens later when he's a teen? He meets a American soldier who yeah I, this is one of the aspects of the movie that i that i didn't love i mean it, it's not that i need a movie to be happy all the time um but i guess it's pretty safe to say that this man luther this soldier pretty much grooms hedwig would you agree with that yeah yeah i yeah i would say that's what's happening um hedwig is kind of in these like ruins uh and the guy gives him candy right yeah um it's it's yeah it's it's difficult because we're not totally sure how old hedwig is at this time um in the um in the musical in some synopsis of the musical i think it says that she's in her 20s okay so she's i mean she's past the age of consent um yeah yeah i don't think there's like a there's a you know, a statutory rape type thing happening here, but it's just a, there's a, there's a manipulation um, above both Hedwig and her mother that, I mean, again, I'm reading some into this, but I think it's fair to do given how it turns out, especially, but also just kind of, I feel like the, the, the nature of it, it, it's not, it's not meant to be heartwarming. It's, it's meant to be a little off-putting, I think, Um you know, because eventually it becomes very clear and just the, the, over the course of, you know, a few minutes of the movie, because this flashback's happening kind of quickly, that that Luther, you know, wins over Hedwig and then also kind of, you know, they, they start dating in East Germany and Luther clearly gets to know uh, her mom. And yeah, it, there's just, there's there's a manipulation involved. Yeah, and I mean, let's just get to it. So the sure. manipulation is that he wants, he says he wants to marry Hedwig yeah. uh, and move to America, but that's not possible because Hedwig um, 
is physically, you know, male, like has a penis, yes. uh, identifies, identifies as a woman, but I guess you're right. It's not clear how much of that is to please Luther and how much of that is his actual identity. Mm -hmm. And then it's not clear later how much of that is his choice and how much of it is a result of what happens to him after this botched surgery. Mm -hmm. But essentially Hedwig undergoes gender reassignment surgery um, so that he can be, you know, quote unquote, a, a natural woman um, and legally marry Luther and travel to the United States to be his wife. Um, however, the operation does not go well. Yeah. Um, and Hedwig's genitals are essentially ruined. Um, and uh, he's left with um, seemingly a very small penis uh, which is where the angry inch uh, comes from. And again, we don't know how functional that is or anything like that, but um, essentially has his whole identity and gender uh, genitalia kind of mutilated um, yeah. to go to go be with him. And then very quickly, there's sort of almost a smash cut. And we see that Luther uh, has found like a young young boy to to be with yeah and that he's leaving Hedwig it's pretty pretty crushing yeah I wasn't expecting this the first time I saw it and I paused the movie and turned to Edgar and I was like wait what yeah like after all that like he's he's just getting dumped yep and then you know to make things even worse the Berlin Wall comes down uh right after Luther leaves uh, Hedwig's watching the news and sees people knocking down the wall. So she wouldn't have needed to go through all of that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I believe from looking up the development of this um, as uh, the, the musical was kind of taking shape as they were, you know, performing lot, you know, live songs at different venues and kind of tooling with the idea of making a rock musical. Uh, it was pre Berlin wall. Um, so they had to change certain aspects of it when the Berlin uh, wall came down. Um, and actually, I honestly think that's a really good touch. I think yeah. that it makes the tragedy of it even more kind of devastating that it was almost all for nothing now. Yep. Um, however, uh, her heart does not stay broken necessarily for all that much longer. Um, because after Hedwig starts, uh, like a band because music is still a big passion, uh, I love that her first bandmates are kind of these like three women who uh, don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, before we get to that really quick, I just want to note that, you know, the, the song that is sung right after Luther leaves Hedwig is my favorite in the movie. It's called Wig in a Box. Yeah, please talk about and, it. And I, I just, I don't really know what to say about it other than it's extremely catchy. And I have heard it before, and I can't figure out where. I, 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 I immediately recognized the song when it came on, and I was so confused. I was like, what? I, I've heard this song. I, I didn't know the lyrics. I didn't know what it was from. And I was just like almost aloud to myself, like, how did, where did I hear this? And I, I still can't figure it out. I, don't, I, I think I've heard it at karaoke or something like that. Um, but I, I've heard the song before and maybe it was my familiarity with it. Maybe that kind of excitement at, at hearing that song, um, that are, a song that I recognize, but either way, I've kind of been listening to both that and the origin of love, um, uh, almost every day. 
Yeah, I, I really like Wig in the Box. Uh, Wig in a Box, sorry. Um, and then once we get to, I think it's the next song that I also like quite a yeah. bit. Um, Wicked Little Town. I think. Yeah, Wicked Little Town. So Hedwig starts uh, this band um, and starts playing again at these like tiny, um, you know, venues. And uh, Wicked Little Town, uh, she sings and kind of notices uh, Tommy kind of in the back. And from there, they strike up a relationship. Um, he visits her um, at her house um, and they kind of have a conversation about you know, Hedwig's gender identity and um, Tommy's attracted to her, you know, seemingly. Yeah. They begin a relationship, both romantic uh, and as, you know, song partners. Um, you know, their, their songs are a hit, I mean, comparatively to how they've been for Hedwig. Yeah. Um, and the same songs we should clarify the, yes. the same songs that Hedwig's been playing this whole time that Tommy essentially stole. Yes. So I think it's, it's at first I thought that Hedwig had developed all these songs herself in her entirety. And I don't think that's true. I think that her and Tommy kind of developed at least some of them together. Correct. And so Tommy uh, starts this new career as uh, Tommy Gnosis. Uh, Gnosis is Greek for knowledge. Um, oh, but- I want to I want to note that there's a there's a shot where Hedwig is trying to come up with Tommy's name, and I looked at all the name. There were a bunch of names crossed out, like Tommy something, Tommy something, and one I thought was really funny was Tommy Taint. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Taint would be great, um, and Tommy Taint would kind of more go with his like uh, goth aesthetic that he adopts. Yeah, his Taint night like nature. Yeah, so um, Tommy, we should mention, is played by Michael Pitt. Um, Fantastic. Great actor, great actor. Um, But uh, he goes from being like a very small town, innocent looking kind of guy uh, to this really awkward, like neo-goth, you know, late 90s kind of look. And uh, I I think that I I don't know enough about music history to know if that was super in at the time Mm -hmm. but i do like the idea of tommy adopting an aesthetic and a persona that really aren't his um just to get you know fans and get people to you know listen to his music whereas the whole time hedwig is so authentically herself um it just kind of creates another division between them that you know tommy's already kind of a fraud and now on top of that he's a sellout and he'll just pretend he's this like goth persona that he's not um because he thinks it'll get people to buy his music yeah can we can we do like a really quick tangent on michael pitt and how yeah, int- yeah. how how, an, how interesting his choice in films in, in what films he's in is like I, I he's an actor that i think is incredible but overlooked somehow he just doesn't i don't know if it's his choice or if he maybe he's just botching a lot of auditions but he is he's such a good actor but he's not in that much and some of the things that he's in he has just such a small role and he's not always you know it's very sometimes he's cast in really disturbing things like i think the possibly actually the first thing i ever saw him in was the um I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He's a French director who directed the movie Funny Games. And then he remade it, um, essentially remade his own movie 
um, but an American version. And Michael Pitt played essentially this the sadist who, with, along with his friend, torture a family. And that was the first, my introduction to Michael Pitt. And I was like, what the hell is this guy? And so I started checking out his other stuff. I think he had a small role in The Village. I didn't remember him from that. He was in this movie called The Dreamers, which is essentially about the, these this French couple that starts sleeping with Michael Pitt's character and they just have sex the entire movie. Uh, and there's a lot of, a lot of nudity in it, which is just another interesting choice. That was one of his like first movies. Um, and then he's in this even before that. And I, I just, I think he makes interesting choices and sometimes great choices in both film and TV TV. The first thing I'd saw, seen him in was maybe the only thing I'd seen him in was boardwalk empire. And he was very good in that. Um, or I guess then Hannibal as well. But anyway, I, but my point just being is that Michael Pitt, I think is so good in this role. And I just want, I want more Michael Pitt in my life and I don't know what, <laughs> how do I get it? <laughs> I, okay. So there's two things. Uh, and one, I know for a fact, the other is just kind of an impression I get. Okay. The thing I know for a fact is uh, he played Mason, the character Mason Verger in Hannibal season uh, two. So good. He's very good, um, but did not choose to come back to reprise the character in season three um, because he felt, and this is directly from like the special features or whatever. Okay. Um, I'm paraphrasing though, but essentially that he didn't want to have to play a character that was stuck in bed because he was such a, you know, like high energy person. Okay. Which is interesting to me, but if you're an actor and you have a role and a character you know, and I'm not an actor, but if your character goes through this horrific transformation, in some ways as an actor, I would be excited to do yeah. that because that's more character work. Not that it wouldn't, you know, physically stimulate me enough. The other thing that I kind of gathered from watching some of those uh, documentaries about JT Leroy and them talking about him is that he was described as like the bad boy okay. and kind of like, the impression I got was that he may be difficult to work with. Uh, you know, I guess that wouldn't surprise me. But as, as to your as to your comment about like what movies he's choosing to be in, I mean, this I think the second thing I ever saw him in was Seven Psychopaths. And he was, I was so excited because he was like, in, I think the first scene of the movie, he's playing like a hitman and he gets killed immediately. And we never see him the rest of the movie. So clearly he was fine with just a role where he was standing exchanging words with uh, I think the other guy was played by Michael Stuhlbarg and and that was it and I was like what what a waste of Michael Pitt I don't know I want to I want to know what he thinks I want to let's get him on this podcast yeah let's call him up I don't know how we do that but I would love it you know if you ask me what guest could we have you know I David Lynch no All Michael right. Pitt yes I I'm gonna propose this I'll contact his agent I'll, I'll call it the pit for a pit program okay. for every episode that Michael Pitt appears on this show. I will mail him a fresh peach pit. Oh, I thought you were going to say something like, uh, I don't know why, because you said pit, but for some reason I thought you were going to go dark and just mail him one of your severed fingers or toes. <laughs> <laughs> no. that, maybe that'd be more persuasive, but I, I do like a pit for a pit. Um, and then if we get him on, we could do pit corner. We could, um, we could, where we just kind of let him talk for, I don't know, four hours and we just cut it down to something we could use. Uh, we could also have him try eating various fruits, which with feature pits. pits. Or what yeah. about uh, olives? 
you know, we'll have to talk to his agent. Yeah, he might not be okay yeah. with doing yeah. olives. He's okay with full frontal nudity, but olives might be a step too far. Bridge anyway, too far. that that was that was the pit tangent that I that I wanted. Uh, yeah. So we we find out the other amusing thing that happens several times when they're at these different venues is before you fully understand the, what's going on with uh, Tommy Gnosis, uh, they will kind of throw open the the door to the venue. Hedwig will, and you'll kind of hear all these screams and shouts and snippets of music that are coming from the Tommy Gnosis show. Yeah. Um. So it's like they're even booking venues that are like right next to his concert. And so I. That may be true, and it, and it probably it, it so. I guess it is true, but one of the, I was going to mention this later in one of the things that works, but I'll just mention it now since you mentioned it. I I really like that a lot because I it's one of those things where you could see how it would happen. It's a very musical thing to do, like on a stage. You don't you know you can't show what's next door, and so he would throw open you know you would open a window, and they probably like or open a window or a door, and then the music would play. And I just think that it was one of those things that seemed very, it was recreated exactly like the, like the movie or like the yeah. musical. And you don't, you don't have to do something like that, but it was just interesting. It, despite the fact that they, if the, the stadium or you know, wherever he was playing might've been right next door, which is interesting. I think it's still an, an interesting and kind of cool creative choice to do that. <sighs> Yeah, and the whole the whole movie kind of works on this dream logic where yes. something like that, it's like this heightened level of reality, which is kind of also why it's hard to remember the exact sequence things happen in because things kind of like slide one scene through the next or like extended flashbacks will like flow into what is the present or it's it's um, it's a very it's more of like a free form plot than you would think for a musical yeah like typically a musical is like a big tent pole you know act one act two act three which this i guess kind of has um but now we're we're kind of getting to the act three really so once we found out everything about hedwig's past uh and tommy um hedwig is sort of dumped by uh the band yeah um it it appears that she has been holding hostage their at least some of their passports right to get them to play for her including her fiance's yeah who she she tears up his passport um and it's she's seen walking on the street dressed very much like a um you know a drag, one, a one. drag queen sex worker of yeah. the you know early 2000s um and who is she picked up by Oh, our boy, Tommy, our boy, Tommy. Um, and I'm expecting this giant scene and Hedwig to, you know, claw his eyes out and kind of go crazy. Um, that doesn't happen though. Does it's, it? it's wordless. Tommy, I think and Tommy writes, um, I forgot exactly what he writes down on one of his albums and he hands it to Hedwig and she reads it. And it says, you know, something that it implies that he's offering her, co-writer credit on the songs on that she it sh- is the rightful co-writer of and that seems to they, they make amends apparently and they st- the next thing i think it's smash cuts to them just singing their songs while driving the limo yes that is correct um however their little ride does not go as planned yes they crash and 
what does Tommy do? Tommy denies knowing her. Um, you know, there's kind of the, an interesting one of those, I don't know what you call it, not a montage, but where you just kind of see a lot of things happening at once. There's the, you know, the overlay of like newspaper and such. And, you know, Tommy, you know, there, there clearly is a lot, a lot of information conveyed in a short amount of time where Hedwig was apparently looked into this, obviously because Tommy's such a rock star, this crash got them both a lot of attention. Tommy denied knowing her ever. Um, and yet her popularity skyrockets well and Hedwig had actively been suing him oh right so for for Hedwig to sue him and then they wind up in a limo crash together and then Tommy says I don't know who she is it it clearly obviously he's lying it doesn't look good yeah and I it's I'm a little bummed uh I mean I'm sort of bummed at that development I was kind of hoping they would get back together because I just found the their breakup scene, I don't think we talked about it really that much, but when when Tommy essentially finds out for the first time that Hedwig is not a biological, really male or female now, right? Because of the botched surgery. Yeah, he he doesn't react well and Hedwig yeah. doesn't react well either. And she says, you know, love the front of me, honey, which I thought was just a really tragic moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I mean, yeah, and Tommy kind of just runs away scared and yeah, it's sad. Um, so yeah, so seemingly Hedwig is kind of on top uh, and now we enter, this is kind of where I have some questions for you because okay. kind of the last big scene um, is this weird reconciliation maybe uh, between Hedwig and Tommy. Um, and then it kind of morphs into Hedwig in this like all white zone, but Hedwig is now just James Cameron Mitchell. Um, yeah, well, so the before there's anything with Tommy again, Hedwig and her band perform, and during it, she sort of just removes all of her drag clothes and uh everything and storms away right yes and kind of leaves whatever venue they're at and then enters this sort of it's almost this kind of like dream realm and in which Hedwig and Tommy or I guess Tommy essentially is like serenading her and Hedwig is looking very much like John Cameron Mitchell or just like, you know, Hedwig um, used to look before she dressed in drag. You know, they, they, Tommy sings to her and essentially I think the gist of his, his song is just, you know, I'm sorry. And I think right from there, unless there's something I'm missing, it kind of cuts back to the venue that they were, were where she was previously at before she removed her drag, but she is now completely still without drag, but the band is all dressed in white and it's seemingly happy, right? It's, it's different. Um, it's almost like Hedwig seems to have like found some peace. Yeah. And it's, unclear what of that is real um like obviously uh tommy serenading her is not most likely um obviously hedwig removing the drag uh is probably happened 
I did. Is this real? Is this happening? Yeah, it's, like, it's I don't possible that it's not. I mean, I guess what, what could have happened is that Hedwig did in fact play this band, play this gig, take off her drag. And well, I guess we should say that, you know, after, you know, the, when, when Hedwig comes back from this kind of dream sequences is back, or, you know, when Hedwig is back in the venue and suddenly everyone's dressed in white and there's another song. And then there's, you know, a little bit of uh, some more of the animation, I think showing, you know, man and man coming together, woman, woman coming together, man and woman coming together kind of to, to mirror the, um, or I guess bring it full circle or whatever, what, what have you. And then the last shot of the whole movie is Hedwig walking naked down an alley. And so it's possible that she ripped off all of her drag and then just walked naked and took off the rest of her clothes and then started walking naked down the alley. And then that's it. And it's just kind of her moving on. And that what happens in with Tommy and what happens with the band when they're all dressed in white, when it, cause during that sequence, Hedwig sort of gives her fiance her blonde wig, essentially just saying like, this is yours. Now you're the head of the band. It's kind of like Hedwig moving on from the band in a more beautiful way, but yet in, in the, in reality, regardless of what happened in Hedwig's mind, in reality, she might've just said, fuck this, I'm leaving and just left. And then the movie is just her kind of sadly walking naked stripped of, everything that she had not wanting to be herself anymore um that's a really depressing way of looking yeah, at it and that's I, actually not that's actually not how i that's not yeah that, that's that's not how i i thought of it i don't honestly think it matters what's real or what's not um i think like i said the the whole movie is has a dreamlike quality to it i think the ending more so than probably the rest of it mm-hmm. i see hedwig walking naked down the alley as as like a birth um of this new this new person that that they have become um because you know she's naked it's down an alley which is you know kind of symbolically like a birth canal like a vaginal canal like a vaginal canal um and i think she has finally become self-realized and i think she has chosen uh to love herself yeah. And to not seek love from others um, because we've kind of seen every relationship that she's had has not worked either uh, with, you know, Tommy or with her current fiance right. um, with Luther uh, that hasn't worked. She hasn't been able to maintain a relationship with, with her bandmates, you know, so her friends, like the, the only kind of love now that can complete her is, is to love herself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as RuPaul says, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, you need to love yourself before you love anybody else. So I, I, I don't think those relationships can work until she learns to love herself, which I ultimately think is how the movie ends. So I see it to- as redemptive. Totally agree. I just to clarify, I, that is also how I looked at it. And to add to that, when Hedwig and Tommy, when Tommy's singing to Hedwig, Hedwig has the cross that Tommy had on his head throughout the movie uh, painted on her head, which I would imagine is symbolizing her kind of being elevated to Tommy's place in the world musically and kind of getting the credit that she deserves. And she's going to start a whole new life as essentially the new Tommy, or I guess not really the new Tommy, but really the real her. 
Yeah, well, um, and that makes sense because that's why she kind of is singing as, you know, um, you know, someone coded as male in yeah. that. So it's, it's like she's kind of reunited the male and female halves of, of who she is. Exactly. And, yeah, um, yeah I, I see it as a very hopeful ending, but I think, I think I it's... I do too. I think it's by valid. The, if, I think it's valid if you saw it uh, and you were bummed out by it. Well, no, I, yeah. I mean, and I again, I both times I I felt happy at the end. The first time I watched it, I didn't really know why because I didn't really I wasn't really sure what happened. And actually, right when I finished the ending, the first time I watched it, I rewatched the ending again immediately after. And then the next night, um, the following night, when I watched it again with Miranda. I kind of felt the same. I, I felt like I was validated in, in kind of the happy ending, the redemptive ending that you just described. And then Brandon and I talked about it a little bit and I think we both agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing we should mention about the music we didn't mention earlier is um, all of the music was recorded during the performance with I think only one or two exceptions. I think at least the singing was. Yeah, I, that's, I'm sorry, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. The, the, yeah. the singing, um, because he, uh, you know, James Cameron, or John Cameron Mitchell was, uh, James know, Cameron Mitchell, John Cameron. I, there's, I, there's your crossover. JCM, let's call him JCM. <laughs> James Cameron Mitchell. Oh my, uh, think about that Terminator. Yeah. Um, JCM, we'll call him. Uh, he, you know, had both starred in the, the original musical and was now directing this and he wanted a very, you know, high energy kind of feeling to the vocals. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's not really a lot of ADR. Um, it's just the audio they actually captured when they were filming for the most part. Yeah. I think it's really effective. Um, and, and another way that I think this movie was ahead of its time. I'm not, there may have been a musical that existed before or soon after that did something similar, but I I don't know. There's just so much about this that is so, is so, it has it's such a unique identity and I, I love it. I agree. I love it as well. Um, so why don't we talk about, um, well, we kind of already handled the characters. Um, is there anything you want to say about the, the direction? You know, if I was more elegant and if I had taken better notes, I think I would have things to say. I, I didn't, sometimes I try to watch these from like a, to try to notice more of like the direct, the director like flares and and techniques and I don't I didn't really watch it either time with that lens um so I can only really make a general statement that I think this movie's well directed but I can't put my finger on why I think it's well edited too it's just a there are moments that are shot very like almost like documentary-esque as if you're kind of following a band along um I mean, I guess the movie is very much shot that way, which I found to be very effective. But then there are certain moments and sequences, obviously, you know, that that play less like a documentary and more of just kind of it, its own, you know, form of storytelling. Um, the flashbacks, you know, to, to Hedwig's childhood, you know, things like that. I, I just think it's very, um, it's just very well done. Yeah, I think... Um... I don't know how you would put it exactly, uh, and I kind of touched upon it earlier, but I think that a lot of times when something is adapted from stage into film, there's something about stage production and the way things have to be staged uh, in terms of stories, 
or the kind of like jokes or things they can do because a production is staged. Yeah. For example, in this one, the like kicking open the door and then you can hear Tommy Gnosis singing at the place across the street. That is a very like stage joke that really, yeah. I think that the, the fact that they kept it in and made it work like this does in a lot of ways feel like a stage musical yet also a feature film and i don't know exactly why that is i think the the kind of the dream logic of it helps that uh because stage productions kind of have their own dream logic to them right but um yeah i i wish i i had a better way to articulate it but i think this was a true success in terms of adaptation making it feel like a play because yep. sometimes I think when uh, plays or musicals are adapted to film, the film versions blow everything out and make everything seem very big and like big wide shots and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like all the shots or rather most of the shots were still pretty tight and intimate. And you're really only seeing the same small handful of people in a shot, you know, the same way you would right. um, on a stage. And one thing that this movie doesn't do that some musical adaptations will do film adaptations, that is um, Sweeney Todd being one of them. And I, I don't, this isn't a problem I have with Sweeney Todd, by the way, it's just a, every time that there's a, there's a musical number, there is a, it, it's taking place in the space that the characters are already occupying. And there are really, there's no one else. There's no background dancers. There's no background, really anyone. If someone is singing you know, a solo, they're by themselves. Um, you know, in, in Wig in a Box, you know, suddenly, I mean, it starts kind of almost like a flashback and then suddenly the band's there, right? It, it, it's like what's, what would happen on stage, right? You, you, the band shows up and then they sing that song, even though you were just in a flashback where she hadn't met her band yet. Well, and even then, like the, the, the production values of, you know, when everyone's all assembled for Wig in a Box, and kind of how the trailer becomes like a stage um stuff like that like makes it feel like you know like a stage mu musical yeah and, and i think maybe a good way to put it is that what this movie does really well is i think that you could you could add elements of you know this you know elements of the original stage production into the movie and it might kind of ruin the you know the illusion that it's a movie or, you know, you know what I mean? Like it, it's the wall starts to crumble down a little bit, but I think that this does it very seamlessly. The, you know, the, the switch to make the trailer look like a stage, you know, nothing's really that jarring. It just feels very intentional and it just, it works well. There's like a, there's a, almost like a whimsy to it that, that works. I think there's, I think what it is, is like, there's no pretension to it. That's uh, like there's opinion. there's no there's no drawing of a massive amount of attention of like do you see how we change the set around or do you yes. see this it's it just it it feels like it happens with the the rhythm and the time and the emotion of the song so that it just kind of feels like a natural extension of that i'm i'm really glad you said that because one complaint that i have there's many types of movies that i a common complaint that i would have is that you can when you watch it you know you can tell how hard it's trying which is such a snobby thing to say. Cause it's like, who, how the hell do you know what the director's doing or like how much ego they put into a movie or anything like that? It's just, and I don't always mean it that way. It's just, you know what I mean? Like you, you can watch a movie and you could, you would see like, it's, it's trying really hard to, to do something creatively. And sometimes if you're not on board with the movie already, it might not land for you. 
Um, or you might be into the movie and that might kind of ruin it. And I just didn't feel that once throughout this entire movie, despite how, you know, how many creative choices there are in this, you know, the switch to, you know, having the sort of um, the animation, you know, the, the flashback sequences, kind of like some of the, the choices in, you know, very close up shots, you know, of, of characters that are almost played for comedy. You know, there's just none of it, none of it upset me. None of it distracted me from what the movie was as a whole. In fact, it just, it all added to my appreciation of it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's effortless, effortlessly done. Yeah. Um, effortlessly done. Speaking so. of uh, what works. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm actually going to say pretty much everything. That's what I wrote down. I wrote down most things, most things. I, yeah. I mean, there's really nothing that's glaring that stands out to me. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, what are your thoughts? Cause maybe I'll uh, piggyback off something you say. Um, I would say, you know, we talked, we touched a lot on already what we kind of think works. And I have a couple things that I think don't work. It's really the only two things I wrote down, but kind of going back to what does work. One of the things that I didn't mention before is that, John Cameron Mitchell is incredible in this role. I wish he had been nominated for numerous awards. I think he might've been nominated for a Critics' Choice Award uh, for Best Actor, and that was it. Um, There is just, there's, he's such a great face and is just, is able to show such a wide range of emotions, both when you know exactly what he's feeling and when you don't. For instance, when he sings The Origin of Love, you can see a lot of pain on his face. The kind of, you know, the pain of, a, of someone who poured so much of herself into her music. And so John Cameron Mitchell, he just, he, he has that expressiveness. And by that point, you only have a vague hint of what's going on with Tommy because The Origin of Love is pretty early in the movie. And you don't, haven't really gotten to see any of Hedwig's pain yet, but yet John Cameron Mitchell just is able to convey so much through singing and just through his facial expressions. And I, and I, that, that's just one example of many. Um, He's astounding. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to, I thought that was something that didn't work. And no, I was like, no, no, that, no. All, that all sounds wonderful. No, no, no. Yeah. Those, I, I, I was going to say, I, I'd go into what that was. And the, the one thing I didn't, that I had written down for what works was, was that, that I didn't mention before. Um, yeah. I mean, and then I don't know if you, I could talk about what I thought didn't work about it really quick if you want. Yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think pretty much everything, the music, the writing, the direction, um, the comedy beats, um, the plot, like I just, I think all of it gets, you know, a 9.5 out of 10 for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what what doesn't work to you? And, you know, this might just be a personal story choice. Um, you know, it's like, you could say... Uh, what's a good example all right you know moonrise kingdom have you seen moonrise kingdom i have not but i know what it is okay well i don't want to spoil it for you then you know i guess my my point is really that some movies will make a choice that you it might work well for the movie but you just don't like watching it um 
and that might be a really over dramatic way of putting this, but you know, the, the, and I talked about this earlier that Luther kind of grooming Hedwig just, it's just upsetting to watch. I think given that it, it, you know, it's just, there's so many examples in, in the world of, of bad men kind of grooming young people and their families. Um, you know, I just recently, there was uh, Courtney Stodden. They said that their former husband, Doug Hutchinson was, and I, who I only really know because he was in Lost, had been like grooming her, grooming them and, and grooming their, their mother and manipulating their family to try to, you know, and there was like a, I don't know, like a 30 to 40 year age difference. And Courtney Stodden, they were like, 18 years old or something when they started dating. And it's just the Luther thing. It's just, it's just upsetting to watch, I guess. And then it kind of, and and you can chalk it up to Luther, not being a, you know, Luther being a flawed character and Hedwig being a flawed character. I like a lot of movies with flawed characters. I like a lot of movies where, where, you know, some upsetting things happen. I don't like it because of those reasons, but, you know, and then, but Hedwig kind of doesn't end up being any better I mean, she manipulates her band. She manipulates her fiance. She essentially grooms Tommy in a way. I mean, I don't know how old Tommy is meant to be when they first meet, but I assumed he was underage. Um, and I guess it's just those kinds of things that, you know, like I want to buy into like their love and such, but it's just hard when that is kind of an element in it. Um, and I also think that, the stuff with Luther, and I didn't know this until the second time watching it, that the way that it's shot, the kind of the way it plays out, I can't quite tell if the intent with like in terms of the tone was to make it seem romantic or make it seem purposefully creepy. I think it was both because it, it is I, a little bit of both. It's ambiguous. Because I think to Hedwig, it, it, it was romantic. Yeah, but I think to anyone on the outside, you would say this is seriously creepy and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. I, I agree. It's hard to watch. It's like a really difficult part to see, but I think that makes Hedwig more relatable um, because you could kind of just briefly mention all the stuff with Luther. But then I think it would make you understand Hedwig less and make you less sympathetic towards her when Absolutely. she does kind of manipulate her band members. Absolutely. She's de- she's not perfect. She's not a perfect character. If she was, it'd be very boring. Nor do I know? want her to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. no, no, no. Exactly. Um, but I think seeing that creates a lot of sympathy. And I mean, we've all had situations, not quite that extreme, but where you were with someone or had feelings for someone that did not have your best interest in mind. Yep. And you know, that's, that's really hard. It's a really tough thing. I remember when I had my genitals mutilated for oh, general same. and I mean, you know, what a weekend that was, Yeah. but I think it makes like, I, I always think about, you know, what makes a character relatable and having her music stolen by Tommy Gnosis who becomes a huge celebrity sucks yeah. uh, and i can not as relatable though not as relatable though yeah but you know being being falling for someone who is bad for you uh and who does not have your best interest at heart that's something that i think a lot of people have, have actually experienced agreed and and 
And maybe it, I shouldn't have put it under the kind of the umbrella of what doesn't work. So I feel like what we've kind of established this category is something that you would like subtract points if you were rating it, you know, from, and, and I don't think I would do that. It's just something that I, I'm going to throw another one out there. And I'm going to, hopefully I'm not going to go over to, have you seen in Bruges? Uh, heard of it. Have not seen Ah, oh, son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron. Well, okay. I've, I'm not going to stop trying, but you know, just, that's one of my favorite movies, but there's like one moment in it that is just so heartbreaking to me um, that almost has made me cry before. It's just, and it's, it's a comedy. It's like a really like, it's a drama comedy. I highly recommended by the way, fantastic movie. One of my favorites, but there's that, that moment that I just, it bothers me to watch it every single time. And that's kind of, and that's kind of how I feel about this. It, it just, it bothers me a little bit. But I just, you know, overall, the movie is so strong. Agreed. Um, all right. So if we were to turn this into a video game, um, I kind of know what I would do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would do uh, a combination rock band uh, <laughs> slash slash management sim. Oh, my God. That's almost <laughs> verbatim what I wrote down. <laughs> I wrote... I wrote down rock band plus touring sim. Ah, okay. Great, great minds think alike. <laughs> and I was going to, I was going to say like, I, I felt like I was worried that I wasn't like thinking too far outside the box. It just seems it would work so well. I originally just wrote down rock band. Okay. I, all right. But, now but that then I'm thinking but then about I, it. I'm just like, I didn't want to go straight to that. So I'm like, what else could I add to it? How about a touring sim? I put no thought into how that would work by the way. Okay, I you know what? Now that we're spitballing here and we're thinking out loud, I actually think I have an alternate that I think could also work. What if you had a Psychonauts like uh, 3D platformer that explored like different facets of Hedwig's personality and or memories? It. Love it with with the music playing in the background. Can Hedwig obviously be the playable character, and can she be armed with a guitar that she just beats people with, or like swings a microphone around and? and uses it a whip absolutely i would like a power up where she uses like her big flappy like wing costume from the beginning and that allows her to fly love it and also yeah. just want to backtrack nothing wrong with with rock band i we should pat ourselves on the back because frankly my first thought was just like i love the music i would love to play rock band i love would love to play those songs on rock band and it's been so long since i played rock band that was the first thing i thought of and so fuck it that's a good idea i think well i was i was just thinking in terms of like direct adaptation how you could adapt the story and mm -hmm. you could have like a story mode where you go to different venues and you see you could almost do like a like a telltale game uh yeah. like choosing your own adventure where there are active cutscenes where you kind of choose dialogue options and that's how the story plays out between you know shows um and i i was just kind of thinking of the most direct way to adapt it and that's kind of what i came up with but now that i'm thinking about it Hedwig is already kind of so dreamy weemy-ish. I think just having a full-blown, like all of this is inside Hedwig's mind kind of psychedelic 3D platformer could be pretty interesting. I'm in. How, I, I'm curious, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you um, earlier. How was your, man? did you have more thoughts as to how the management sim aspect would work? Uh, I don't just because it's been such a long time since I played a management sim. Okay. Um, I do enjoy them quite a bit, but I, you know, it's, I, I'm, it's been a long time since I played say roller coaster tycoon when I was 11. 
Um, oh, but I do remember liking those types of games. Have you played I, a management sim recently? I not recently, but I loved uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon. Yeah, I, I it is a sad day that I when my I put so much time and energy into one specific park, and I made it just this perfect, well-oiled machine. I made some fantastic roller coasters, and I spent a lot of time on it. And I think one of my brothers just accidentally destroyed the floppy disk that it was on, or saved <laughs> saved over it. It was such a sad, sad moment in my life. I mean, I guess you could boil down all management sims to make more money than you spend. Yeah. I mean, essentially, I guess that's the management sim of life is also that. that that's yeah. that's actually the trick of life. If you we are living in a management sim. We really are. We're, yeah. really We're always playing it. one, which is why maybe I don't like that genre anymore. Yeah. Um, so would you live in the world of Hedwig and the Angry Inch? That is to say the you know what mid 90s post uh berlin wall going down sure um on the on the traveling music scene sure uh, do i have to be on that scene i mean technically i was alive during this time and it's set in the real world uh but yeah no sure i would I'll, say no I'll, I'll be a roadie i'm gonna say no <laughs> I feel like I always say yes, usually without thinking about it first. And I always, always say I, no. I, I always think of the like very boring, pragmatic things. I mean, the AIDS crisis. My God, <laughs> come on! You were alive during the Central Park, the, 90s, fi- so- the Central Park Five. Okay, I mean, the outrage of it. Are all. you at all of these moments? Are, like, are you, <laughs> Maybe are you physically present. There would be that would be a great Forrest Gump esque film where it just follows me throughout like Central Park Five, the AIDS crisis. I was there on the night OJ killed what's her face. But you're also following Hedwig on tour, and that is the fan fiction that we should have gotten. Ah, uh, excellent. That's segment. already better than all of the fan fiction that we found. There's one. There's a surprising amount of it. Amount of it, and two. It's all very boring. Yeah, I mean, we should talk about, I guess, quickly, I mean, feel free to add on to this, obviously, that, you know, most of the, we talked about this earlier today, that most of the fan fiction we found, if not basically all of it, is really thoughtfully done, or kind of half-assed, but either way, it doesn't add much. It just gives us back, uh, like a background, a generic background story to Hedwig. I mean, in some very odd ways, it's the best fan fiction we've ever found, because it's actually like, coherently written and about the characters and putting them in like resolving their issues like it's actually technically the best i guess i mean some of it is generic i I thought some other other bits that i read it seemed very very like someone who was very passionate about this movie and the characters and really wanted to add something which is not something you see a lot we get this different kind of deranged passion and what we normally see in fan fiction corner. And frankly, I think I've changed my standard where I think good fan fiction is the batshit fan fiction. So I think here's in my head how I differentiate them. In my mind, the fan fiction I enjoy reading is like someone like someone picked up all the characters like they were action figures and just started smashing them together. I feel like the fan fiction I don't like, which is what this fan fiction is, is like, someone thoughtfully sat down and like with a quill and like wrote out <laughs> the emotional adventures. Yeah. I want, I want action figures smashing into each other and we me didn't too. really get that here. Well, it, it, let me, let me, then let me give you something. This is a, this is fan fiction mashed up with what this movie was a game. And I okay. have just, just a couple words for you. 
Mario and Sonic and Hedwig at the Olympic Games. I like what I'm You're hearing. Welcome. I like what I'm hearing. <laughs> You're welcome. Can I? Can, okay, honestly, can I? Can I bring this full circle? Yes. Because I think how that would work is Hedwig. Maybe she can be, you know, in the competition. But I also like the idea that in like a story mode or you know in like a campaign mode, there would be like times and breaks for like music and shows because at the real Olympics there are. Uh, and Hedwig could be could be the one playing, it. and then it could <laughs> they could also be like a rock band, on top of being like a you know generic sports simulator. I the 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 idea came. For, I like that idea, and then where where I had thought of that was when I was going through kind of our segments, and I was trying to figure out what to say for game. For some reason, I, I don't know why, and it was probably because we've had like some Sonic crossovers before. Is that but the first thing that popped into my head were the words Mario and Sonic and Hedwig at the Olympic Games. And the game I pictured was just Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games with Hedwig lazily tacked on. And the game was shipped out to all the kids with their Wii's who had no idea what this movie is and none of it's ever explained. And I just <laughs> I thought that was I, the thought of that happening was so amusing to me. It's so funny that. I, I had to share it with you. I like imagining Hedwig being animated uh, almost in the style of like Jimmy Neutron's parents. Yes. You know what I mean? Y- yes. Like very, yes. very low res, lazy, like <laughs> exactly like cartoon CG. Yes. I do C- love that. Couldn't agree more. In fact, I'd watch a whole Hedwig and the Angry Ant show that's animated specifically by the, in the way that Jimmy Neutron is. Oh, yeah. But also Carl Weezer is in the show. Yes. For no, for no reason. Um, can we talk about the fan fiction we both found? Yeah, that, we, I mean, there's can. there's not a lot to say about it. Essentially, it's a crossover between Hedwig and the Angry Inch and Edward Scissorhands. Yes. But what I find baffling Towering is... Towering Velveteen. Towering Velveteen. What I find baffling is this note at the end. <clears throat> Here's the note. <laughs> this is a Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Edward Scissorhands crossover. First of all, you already said that at the beginning, but all right. <laughs> You don't need to have seen or even heard of Hedwig to enjoy (laughs) or understand this fic. If you don't know of her, it's easy to treat the character like you would any other that isn't canon slash from the movie. Her backstory, personality, etc. works into the story just as another character's would. Then why did you do this? (laughs) If nothing about Hedwig matters to this fan fiction, then why is it Hedwig? Why? Why? Why wouldn't you just make up your own character? Why I, would you take Hedwig? I think I feel like this person wrote that thinking they were being so kind and thoughtful to their audience. They're they're being, but you know what? I I hope my hope is that when we are doing later episodes of this show, we're looking for fan fiction. We find this exact exact thing with a find replace Hedwig for some other character, and that exact wording at the end of it. That they've just rewritten this with other characters because apparently it's so easy. I I suppose I'm just scrolling through uh, some of their other work. This this the person is Zan guy. Um, they also have a fan fiction about Willy Wonka uh, as a child, um, which, as of the news today, Tim Tim yeah. Timoth- Timothy Tim Timothy. Timothy 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 Chalamet uh, is going to be playing a young Wonka. 
But anyway. Yawn. Yawn. Yeah, Fan Fiction Corner was kind of a letdown. I did find something that I've seen before in other, like, fandoms that I don't really understand. Um, But I've seen it a bunch, so I I think I kind of have an idea of what it is. Uh, It's called 100 Fandoms. Okay. Or no, this one is called, like, 0.08 Star Devil. But it's, it's, like, listed under 100 Fandoms. And then under Fandoms, there's a bunch, I assume, 100. Um, and then like this one for Hedwig, there's nothing about Hedwig. It's very short. It's about like other characters, I think. And I have no idea. And if anyone out there is listening knows and can tell me, I think the idea, because they mentioned somewhere like this is a 100 fandoms challenge. So I think the idea is that like you write a work that features 100 different fandoms, like over the course of time. Okay. I don't know. I've seen it pop up a bunch and I never understand it. And every time I click on it, I'm like, the characters I was looking for are not in here. Um, so that's just a weird uh, fan fiction thing that I did not know existed. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, that was Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Um, we've talked about our fan fiction, right? Any other fan fiction ideas? Um, no. Not really. Uh, I mean, should there I, be Hedwig and the Angry Inch fan fiction? I think there's some potential for it. I, I wouldn't say it's like super, it, it's not like teeming with potential, but there's some. I feel like if you're a 13 year old girl, you write meaningful fan fiction to this and then you finger yourself for the first time. When you read it. <laughs> oh I think that's not expect the, you to say that. I think that's the window that well, to all you teens out there, write some fan fiction, please. And then explore. You know what? I'm going to watch what I say. Yeah. 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 Okay. Listen, this is a show that supports people. It's satire. All right. It's satire. Uh, find, you know, exploring their own sexualities, no matter what, you know, who you are. As long as you do it in a kind way to yourself and others and legal way. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's a great transition into what are we doing next week? No, actually, uh, what, what we're gonna do, Wario Land. Uh, we are, yes, uh, a game that I have never played before, um, but that you have told me very good things about. Uh, and I have not yet started it. The game is really about Wario finding himself sexually. That's what I, yeah, that's really all I want, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that should be that should be fun. It's a game I haven't played in a long time. My my brothers and I have a, like a soft spot for it. Uh, I like the Wario Land games in general. Um, and yeah, we can talk about that more next week. But um, what have you been? Uh, what have you been up to? What have you been playing? What have you been watching? What have you been gaming? Uh, yeah, no, um, busy, tired. Uh, let's see. I've been watching. Edgar and I started on HBO Max a show called Hacks. Um, it's a comedy with uh, Jean Smart. Um, and oh, I like her. Yeah, she's good. It's about she's kind of a sort of washed up, um, like Vegas stand up uh, host person or stand up comedian. She's a hack, you could say. Mm. And she gets paired up with this defiant young millennial. Um, and oh, the the adventures they have. Um, and then, uh, what else? Uh, I bought Mass Effect, the trilogy, but I really only, you did. I know I really only played it a year from now. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I uh, I've just been continuing to play. I, I beat Monster Hunter Rise today. I think we talked about that. Yes. Um, and then I've been playing Monster Hunter Stories uh, still uh, in preparation for Monster Hunter Stories Two that comes out in July. I'm excited to buy Shin Megami Tensei Three um, when I get paid on Friday and jump back into that. I look forward uh, to hearing your thoughts on it. I think you said you played it before, but I, I yeah, I'm tempted to get, but I've watched some footage of it and I just am not totally convinced that I'll like it. Yeah, I, I played the original multiple times, and um, this time I'm gonna be a shitty little cuck, uh, and I'm gonna play it on the easy <laughs> difficulty. So why not? Know. I, 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 you know, I'm not above that. It, we we live bi- lead busy lives. If you need to play, I, I'm. And speaking of that, I'm. Are you done? Uh, I didn't want to step on the rest of uh, what you had to say. If you've got anything else, I am. I am done. I am okay. done. What What have you been I, playing I, and watching? I started Resident Evil Eight. Um, oh, okay. okay. Which is good so far. I'm not very far in, and I thought to myself, maybe I should just play this on easy, just just because I want to experience the game. I, I, I would rather it go faster. I don't, there's some games now I feel like I'm not looking for a challenge or if I'm revisiting a game, especially I'll just like follow a guide because I don't care about doing everything myself. I just want to experience the game again, but I don't want to do a watch a let's play because I never do that. You know, so I may, I put it down for a little bit um, to play another game I'm addicted to, uh, but I, I, I might, I might switch the difficulty to easy just to kind of make it through the game. So Resident Evil 8 is one thing I've been playing. I've also completely, completely addicted to the Binding of Isaac, um, which I so you've said. desperately need to not be playing because I don't have t- it's, I'm, it's eating heavily into my anime watching and my video, other video game playing. Like I need to go watch Resident or play Resident Evil 8 tonight, but I'm probably just going to end up playing Isaac um <laughs> listen go where your energy takes you uh and we've talked about this uh before on this podcast but uh i think your relationship to difficulty in games uh has a lot to do with the fact that games were much less readily available you know when you were playing them in formative times like when you were you know yeah. 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 when i played resident evil 4 for the first time that was it in terms of games i was gonna get my hands on for you know three months Mm-hmm. So sure, I was going to play it on normal. I was going to try playing it on hard because, you know, I had to make, I had to stretch this game out. I had to make it last. Very true. Um, we are rich, lazy Americans who have access to all the games we want. Uh, and we just, we, we sit at a trough of them and shove them in our mouths and then in our go to the pig mouths, go to the vomitorium and just spew them all up. Uh, and so we can have them as much a, a, and whenever we want. Um, so yeah, I think it makes more sense. You know, you want to play Resident Evil eight, you want to experience it. Yeah. Just do it. I just might not respect myself, but also I I play a lot. This is an era of my, not that, not that I didn't play hard video games before. You're talking to someone who played the ever living shit out of super Mario brothers deluxe for game Boy color and got the record time beat the hardest ghost time trial ghost in every single lost level level which is might've actually been my, my peak of gaming talent. Cause those are not easy levels. Um, oh, I wish Mario maker had come out back then. Um, but I, I play so many difficult games more recently in the last like three years of my life that I, maybe it's just 
given me less of a tolerance for games that challenge me other ways. I just need like relaxing games, but I don't want to like, you know, play like a sim or something. Like I just, I just need some easy games in my life. Um, easier games, but games that I want to experience as well. So yeah, I'm probably going to just switch to easy mode on that. Just here it's very good. Um, and I really want to experience it so I can move on to play and watch other things. Just become a just become a shitty little beta cock like me, <laughs> and just let it happen. It's fine. We should start like a, a um, spin off podcast called Beta Cucks. The shitty little beta cucks. Yeah, it I could know. be like it could be like Muppet Babies, but a lot. <laughs> I don't know but how. A, a lot, <laughs> but a lot uh, sadder. I guess this is what I was gonna say. Um, yeah, I, so that's video games. I've been watching some movies, and I dove, also I dove back into Castlevania. Uh, the last season is out, and I like it a lot so far. Yeah, I've only seen the first season. I was kind of lukewarm on it. I thought there were parts that were okay, but I've heard it gets much better. It does, and I felt the same way. The only reason I kept watching it after the first season is because I have always loved the series, and just even vague hints of things that I was familiar with from playing the games got kept me interested enough to, to check out season two. And I do not regret it because I think it's very good. And season three is great. And then season four has been great so far too. Noticeable jump in animation quality. Not, not to the, not to say that the seasons two, one, two, and three were not well animated. They were very well animated, but four is, is very, very, very good. Um, um, I might've mentioned this last week, Miranda and I are kind of made our way through almost all of the mission impossible movies. She had seen some, um, but not others. That's been great. Um, yeah. Oh, and Miranda also showed me, uh, an episode of Poirot. I don't know if you've ever watched, um, the BBC. Poirot. Uh, Hercule. Yeah. Hercule Poirot. Yeah. I don't know. I, I hope I didn't butcher that name totally, but uh, we watched an episode of it. Apparently, it was the last episode based on the novel Curtain, which I guess was his last mystery. Um, and I thought it was very good. Uh, it's not, I, I'm not as into those shows, I think, as she is, but I, you know, she's shown me a handful of episodes uh, now. And I think that, that that one in particular was very good. Highly recommend it. Um, from what I understand, and we can kind of wrap it up here, but yeah, I, th- I think Agatha Christie hated Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I like, I know a few things about Agatha Christie and I think there's two, two interesting things about her. Oh, uh, maybe three. Uh, one, do you know that she mysteriously vanished for like 11 days or something? That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. Ask Miranda about it. I bet you would know. But two, I think she hated Poirot. I think she only kept writing for him because other like people really liked him. I wonder what she, I, I would love to know if that's true and if so, why? And then three, she did ultimately develop dementia. Uh, and I guess someone like at a university did like a very comprehensive study of all of her novels because she had like 70 of them or whatever. Okay. Uh, and in analyzing her writing from like novel one to the last one, they can like pinpoint exactly where her dementia began and like how it progressed <laughs> based on the novels that she wrote, which I think is very cool. That's very cool. I want to see like a YouTube video on that. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. Thanks again to Edgar for the recommendation. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll get him on here someday. And, uh, um, yeah. yeah, this has been Game & Watch with Aaron and James. And uh, see y'all later.